Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. I have uh, WTA Tags Director Eric Pollock on today, and we're going to talk about a number of things, but... First off, I want to start because Eric went up with one of our good clients to a Fognac to go after an elk up there, which is actually a Roosevelt elk. And this is one that I've had on uh, my list of, of places I'd love to go and, and a hunt I'd love to experience just because of where it is and what exactly it is. So I'm looking forward to hearing Eric's story on that. And then we're also going to cover top elk places to apply for in uh, the upcoming season 2024 kind of do an elk recap of 2023 um, hidden gems that there are still left in the tag application world and then also Eric actually cashed in 18 points in Colorado so looking forward to, to hearing that story as well how you doing today Eric hey good Mark how are you good good we uh, good. finally got rid of the snow here in Michigan we got an early early snowstorm and it's finally melting off here and hopefully it doesn't come back for another month or so yeah, we got a cold front that came through last week, and it pushed a lot of birds down. So pheasant season started here in Sydney, Nebraska, and like I said, the uh, the geese are in, and people are shooting ducks. So yeah, it's it's uh, we finally got a little bit of cold. I hope we have a good winter again, like we did last year. Of course, not too hard. You know, winter was winter was pretty hard on the west last year. Um, not as not as hard as uh, we thought it was. Uh, you know, Wyoming had an antelope die off in, in certain places. Uh, the deer in the Grays River, of course, got hit pretty hard, mm-hmm. but it's, it, it, it hasn't been. We were a little worried it hasn't been as bad as all of the, you know, the rumor mill out there. Yep. But uh, it, you know, it was it was a pretty big winter last year. So this year would be nice just to get, you know, a normal winter, not too big, not too small, somewhere somewhere in the middle. So nothing in the world seems normal anymore. So I will I yeah. will hope for I will hope for a normal winter. We had a whole bunch of ice around us last year. That seems to be the the new norm. Not as much snow and a bunch of ice all the time. Yeah. How's your deer season in Michigan? Is that is that going right? Yeah, now? we're rock we're rocking and rolling. I I had. Uh, 
I'm taking off to Nevada here in let's see, well, three days. I'm taking off to to, to go hunt elk down there in a tag I drew, but I've had a, a week here at home, so I've been getting out here and I had a close encounter yesterday. Um still seems just a touch early on the on the big guys out and about during daylight. I see a lot of the smaller deer chasing and the does aren't quite ready yet, but it's it's getting close you know, here. I was on your social media and I I can't remember what platform it was, but I saw you rattle in a big deer. Was that a that wasn't a Michigan deer, was it? No, no, that wasn't that wasn't Michigan. No. Yeah. No, that was, that was definitely cool definitely not here. I've like yeah, I hear big. people around me have have stories of rattling in Michigan. Anytime I've ever tried rattling here, I've I've yeah. never had I've I've just never had luck. Um the yeah. truthfully the best spot we rattled a bit in Texas. Ooh, Texas deer respond crazy to rattling. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if it's like a pressure thing or a buck to doe ratio thing or what it is. It must like our buck. I'll be honest, our buck to doe ratio on on the properties I hunt here is is way off. So last night, um, I hunted. I saw four different bucks. One, the, the shooter was off at 220 yards, working a scrape line with 15 minutes left of light, and I had three young bucks, and I had over 40 does in the field that I was I was sitting on a food plot, and they were in there all at once. And I'm like, oh my, yeah. oh my gosh. It's starting to get exciting here in the WTA office because, you know, of course, Halloween kind of starts off the rut. Yep. And I think Kansas' first week, first archery week, uh, was pretty good at, at a few camps. You know who had a good year in the muzzleloader in Kansas? It was Shane Smith. The Did he? outfitter you hunted with last year. Yep. He, you know, he, he, I, you know, I shouldn't say it was a good year. It's always a good year. And in fact, it, it wasn't as good. The muzzleloader hunt is, I think, the best hunt down in, it's in September and you get the first crack at those deer and those deer are, are habitualized on the Milo yep. or, or whatever food source they're coming into. And they, of course, you know what it's all about, but it really is a great evening hunt and he shot some giant deer. However, what I'll say about it is this was the first year in Kansas that I can remember, and this is going back a ways. Or, you know, that early September muzzleloader hunt finally had cool weather. When I say cool, it was probably in the 60s. Uh-huh. Norm- normally it's in the 90s. And so everyone was like, oh, it's going to be a great week in Kansas. And those deer didn't really move any earlier than they always do, you know. And, and it, we were just all thrown off. I mean, we still did well, but it, it really didn't. I think that time of year, those deer have gone through the summer and they're just, their blood is thin and they're used to it being hot. And, uh-huh. If it cools up, it, it was just kind of shocking that, you know, they thought they'd be up on their feet a little bit earlier. And I don't know, that early in the year they weren't. However, you know, they still, I mean, gosh, I had some clients shoot some giant deer down there on that muzzleloader hunt in Kansas. And uh, are you going back there? I, I need I need to get back there. So when you I do. went there last yeah. year, it was the, the opposite. It was, I think, the first day we went out, it was 104. Like, it was, yeah. it was during that hot spell last year. And it was just, I mean, brutal. But it's interesting because I always wondered, too, like, okay, well, if you do get cold weather, are they going to come out earlier? It's interesting to hear that they came out at the same time, that basically that last 20 minutes. Yeah, it's the last 20 minutes. That's yeah. what it is. And uh, it, it, is, it is effective, though. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. All right. Well, let's let's dig into your um, – Yeah, sorry to get started. Yeah, no, we did. Let's, yeah. dig, let's dig, into, <laughs> dig into Alaska, Roosevelt Elk. You got – as you know, this is one I've been applying for for a while. So to break me down what the hunt is and then then just dive into the experience you had up there. I'll tell you what, what, what a cool experience on that boat. It's a boat-based hunt on a Fognac Island, right? And it's a tag that WTA Tags offers to apply for. 
and it's expensive, right? Because yep. it's boat based, and there and there's some, some some large expense there to to run that boat and the crew that it takes to run that boat. And uh, so we drew a very good client of mine. His name is George Davis from Ohio, just not far from Cleveland, Ohio. Of course, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, so you know we grew up about three hours apart from each other. We're the same age, early fifties. I called George and I said, George, you're not going to believe this. I said, you drew a Roosevelt elk tag on a Fognac Island and you drew a mountain goat tag on Kodiak. So a Fognac. Oh, wow. A Fognac. Yeah. So that's a tough call. That's yeah, an yeah. intimidating call because you're calling a client and there's some money that's going to be outlaid there. And then, of course, the scheduling, right, is, is difficult where you're telling a client, hey, basically, you're going to be gone for a while. I didn't think George would book both of them. Uh-huh. He booked both of them. He's like, oh, perfect. Yep, let's book them up. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> and and um, so I sent him into our Kodiak goat outfitting company first. And then I said, George, I will meet you. After your goat hunt, you're going to – so coat, uh, excuse me, a Fognac is part of the Kodiak archipelago. So uh-huh. they're very, very close to each other, right? I said, I'll meet you in Kodiak City when the goat hunt's over, and then we'll fly in, charter flight in to the boat. And he's like, perfect. So, um, I, you know, of course, I'm a little nervous. I'm, I'm meeting George for the first time, and I'm like, gosh, I hope he got a goat. I don't want to be on a boat with a guy that's upset the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but he did. He did great on the on the goat hunt. He uh, worked really, really hard for it. They um they hiked up in there. They got on a lot of goats, but of course, you know, goat hunting is not easy, right? It's extreme, and it's pup tents and mountain house, and you know, walking down a creek three miles, ditching your hip boots in the rock, you know, ascending up into the up into the alpine, and fighting brush for two hours to get up into that alpine. George gets up in there, and he had this awesome guy that just wanted to explore, and they just kept walking and walking. He put on, I want to say, he put on fifty miles in seven days. Oh wow! Shot a huge, took a huge billy. Came back down. I mean, 50 miles, it's not that extreme normally, but his guide was more on the extreme side. He knew George could go. So they, they did. Just, they worked hard for it. They came back down, you know, got the goat. I met George in uh, in Kodiak City. Stay right there at the Best Western. And, um, but before, before I get into that, George went through the draw in Alaska, that's a December 15th draw deadline. Right? Mm-hmm. He draws yep. both of those. Te- you find out in February, February, you find out mi- middle of February, the, the results post. Um, I call the outfitter, uh, his name's Paul. And I said, Paul, I said, look, I said, I got a, you know, I got a, a Roosevelt elk hunter. And he's like, I could tell there was some hesitation there. And uh-huh. I said, what's going on? He goes, I'm having a little trouble finding packers for that hunt. And the reason being, those did you know those Roosevelt elk? They're like thirty percent bigger than a Rocky Mountain. Elk. Yeah, just I mean their bodies are huge. They're huge. Yeah, 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 they're awesome creatures, you know. And um, so that's part of the reason why I, you know, I got invited on the trip not only to you know hang out with a client but to help pack. And um, anyway, so we we get there. Uh, George is pumped because he got his goat. I met another client in there, Steve Shook, who's also coming off the goat hunt, Sean Whipple's coming off the goat hunt. So I, I got to meet a lot of my clients in between hunts, between the goat hunt and the, and the Roosevelt hunt. Those clients are all pumped. We went 100% in that mountain goat camp this year. 12 awesome. for 12 we went. Yeah, awesome. And, then, you know, that's a hard hunt. That's, you typically don't go. I mean, there's a guy that can't go, a guy that gives yeah. up, the, the weather. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can go on. Anyway, we go 12 for 12 on it. 
so everyone's happy. We're we're at I can't remember the name of that little restaurant there in Kodiak, but we had a great dinner. Those guys leave George and I and uh, uh, Jordan Roach, who works here at WTA. He's a WTA tax consultant. He came with me. The three of us fly in into the boat, and it's just a neat deal. I mean, you get up in that chart. You, you you're at Island Air there in Kodiak City. They fly you up over the mountains. You land on the water. You get out on the boat. The boat's you know this really cool. 65 foot you know yacht basically um comfortable uh we shared rooms but it, it, it that was fine yep there's a shower and uh the food was fantastic and then we had to wait we had to wait for that wind to slow down because the boat needed to kind of go out into the open ocean so that you could access the elk from this one point this okay. cape and when the wind's blowing on those capes, you can't get the skip on those capes. In fact, the outfitter did hit his prop one day on the buy. I felt really badly. Uh, he had to he had to change out his prop. You could tell he was upset. But anyway, we we get out and uh, and we start hiking. And it's like snowing. And it's the first it's raining, and then it starts to snow. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a big day. And he couldn't because of the wind. He couldn't get us super close to where the elk were. So we walked pretty far to get to those elk. And I'm thinking, if we get one of these, we got to walk this thing back. I mean, we probably walked four miles to get uh-huh. those elk, just because of where he had to drop us off, right? Normally, you wouldn't have to walk that far, but we had to go. We had been waiting on the boat two days. We had, like, cabin fever. We were ready oh, yeah. to get out of there. Paul's like, you guys got to get out. You're going today. And I'm like, all right, perfect. So we go up into this valley, and these guys are like, and there was like, I think there was like nine of us, because we were so intimidated by the pack out, Right. Nine or ten of us. There was a lot of people on this hunt, and we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. And and, and I said, "What do you think?" He said, "Well, when we get into that valley, we're going to see some elk." I'm like, "Really?" He's like, "Oh, we oh, we've never not walked up in there and seen elk." I'm like, "Perfect." After a four mile jaunt, we get in there, <laughs> and the first bull we see is snapped off on both sides. And I'm like, oh, "Oh my gosh!" And so this anyway, you get into this valley, and those bulls are about I would say about halfway up on the on the side, on the face of the hill, but it's all salmonberry and alder. Uh-huh. And um, regardless, that bull's broke off. Get to the next bull. He's broke off on one side. Um, we keep walking, working up the valley. See another bull. They've told me, those guys have told me that they've seen up to 30 bulls in that valley. So this valley is like the, the valley of dreams. It's wow. An incredible spot. Yeah, it's just a neat deal. And they've never not, you know, taken an elk on this hunt, they're 100% success. Anyway, we get up on this beautiful bull. I think book on a Roosevelt is like 290. And if this bull doesn't score 290, it's got to be close. Super heavy, great crowns. I think it was a five by six. Um, we kind of we kind of stayed in the trees while George and the head guys kind of worked in on him. He takes this bull, and I get up, and I'm I'm just pumped. I'm so happy. It's snowing. I mean, the shot wasn't the easiest shot because of the snow and the thickness of the of the salmonberry and the alder. We get this bull. We start. We're all pumped. We start hiking up to it, you know, because it, it's like I said, it's on about halfway up. We finally get there, and I look at this elk, Mark. It's like it looked like a moose. I mean, the <laughs> body on this thing. I mean, the horns were cool. I mean, they're yep. super heavy and yep. you know, dark chocolate horns and. Just a gorgeous specimen, you know, but the body is where it's at. I mean, it's like, I mean, it, they're enormous, you know, and uh, we just start cutting up, you know, we started to skin it and quarter it and you had to debone them. You can't take it out with the bone. Yep. <clears throat> so we get the elk into our packs. Like I said, there's like 10 of us. 
So we all have probably like 50 pounds in our pack, maybe a little more, and we start hiking out, and we're all thinking to ourselves, like, and we're waiting to hear from Paul on the, on the, I can't remember, I think they were in reaching him, and we're waiting to hear where he's going to pick us up, and we're just praying that we don't have to go to that same cape, because it's, like, it's, anyway, Paul's like, don't worry about it, the, the wind is laid down, I can get you guys in the normal spot, so a four-mile hike turned into like a two-mile hike, which we were all oh, so yeah. pumped. Oh, it was awesome. It was it was great. Everyone was psyched, and you know we take little breaks and talk and laugh, and it was it was fantastic. Anyway, we get back to the boat, you know, dealing with the meat, everything else. The fox hunting is phenomenal. You get these little skiffs, and you go up fox. The duck hunting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I shot my I shot my first surf scoter there. Um, Harlequins, golden eyes, all that stuff. It's and the food's fantastic. It, it's just a, a really really neat trip, and it's a tag that if you need a Roosevelt elk. I think you should be applying for it. I think have you ever, have you ever hunted them before? No, I haven't yet. Yeah, so like you know, people go to what Vancouver Island, yep. right? Vancouver Island, I, and then there's some in Oregon, uh, some in Northern California, on uh, the mainland side of British Columbia, yep. across from Vancouver. And I don't, you know, I remember when I first started, the Vancouver Island was kind of the place where, you know, the place where it was at. And I don't, I don't know if it's as good as it used to be on Vancouver Island. I'm not saying it's not a great place to go, but I don't think it's in its heyday anymore. It's a, right? it's a tough hunt from what I hear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the mainland side is a tough hunt, expensive, you know, the Oregon hunts, those are tough draw units, mm-hmm. you know, public, I mean, unless you can get on a big private ranch, but so there's not really, I mean, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of places to go but there's several places to go but i think that that boat-based hunt on fognac island is the best roosevelt elk hunting in the world and you know not that i've done it 15 or 20 times but oh, yeah. i've been around it enough to know that that's a really really good hunt and if you need a roosevelt and the drawing odds aren't that bad i mean you're probably looking at one in ten kind of it's not like that nevada tag that you just draw at point zero percent right yeah <laughs> crazy so it was uh yeah that is crazy but it was great it was fantastic the Alaska draw is coming up December 15th. You know, we've got mountain goat to put in for on Kodiak. Um, you can do boat-based mountain goat with this same outfitter that I just spoke of on the Roosevelt. Out of Homer, Alaska, he does them. Uh, you know, boat's a really nice place to base from on a mountain goat hunt. Um, we've got the Roosevelt elk. We've got the free-range bison. I know you've hunted yep. free-range bison in Alaska. Yep. and put it for that tag now. Of course, we've got the caribou area up in the Alaska Range, which is the best barren ground caribou hunting in the world right now. Um, what else do we have? We have the doll sheep. I know everybody's talking how difficult the winter was on the doll sheep and the big die-off that happened, but I do want people to know that we did well in the Chugach this year, right? And we actually had a rifle hunter that shot a giant, and then we had a bow hunter that went in there with, uh, you know, with our outfitter and they got, they got one in the Chugach with a bow. I'm not sure how the toke went. There's only, there's very few, not, there's only one non-resident tag in the toke and we didn't draw it this year. We, we often, we do draw it, but we didn't this year. So I'm not exactly sure how that went, but I, I think it probably went pretty well. So, you know, I know everybody's scared of Alaska on the dull sheep, but I think the draw areas are, are, you know, I think, I think that I know the draw areas are still, doing well it might not be as good as it used to be but i don't think the the winter kill in the draw areas was as bad as say you know the alaska range or parts of the brooks range excuse me so um yeah the alaska draw coming up december 15th and um yeah you know if you if there's no points in alaska right so you don't apply if you can't go in 2024 yep 
Look, but if back, you think you can get away, back go, up, you know, put in. Back on the Rosie go hunt, does, does do they try to do it always in one day, right? Just because all the bears on the island, in and out? Oh, that's that's a great point. Yeah, so he told me, he said, look, we cannot shoot a bull too close to dark because those bears will be on that elk. You know, in, you know, if we if it gets too close to dark, it gets a little spooky in there. And so, like, we were kept working up that valley and running out of time. And it was almost to the point where it wasn't almost to the point where you had to turn around. But we were thinking about it. You uh-huh. know? It was like, yeah, but the outfitter did mention that to me. He goes, man, you can't shoot them too late in the day or those bears are on those elk because you've got to get them out of there before dark, you know. So that's a pretty yeah. that's a pretty normal group then to have a larger group just because, you know, you got to get it in and out the same day. That's why it's so That's expensive. Crazy. That hunt is thirty thousand dollars, and I just always thought to myself, "Like, gosh, thirty grand it seems like a lot, you know." But then I got there, and what he's got going on in that boat to run that boat, that crew that's needed, and then yeah, and the Packers. You know, he brought in extra Packers, great guys. I think the one guy was from um, Oregon, and his name was Clint. Awesome dude. And then the other, uh, the other cat, he was from Alaska, I think. Big guys. Okay. He brought those guys in. And then he had two, two, two or three head guys that really know what they're doing. And then me and Jordan, George. And then he had, oh, the Paul had his sons there too, helping out. Just young kids, great uh-huh. kids. You know, just he's just trying to toughen them up. You know, and yep. and uh, and they also had Roosevelt tags. The boys did, and they both shot elk. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, we shot three bulls, and oh, we had two bulls down by the time I left. And then that that younger boy was out there hunting, and I, I'm pretty sure he probably got one. But okay. um, yeah, it was it was fantastic. It was a great hunt. Oh, that's awesome! No, yeah. and Alaska's coming up. It's one I always like because you get to find out the draw early, right? Kind of kind yeah. of setting the year and and what you're doing based on that one. Alaska is one of my favorite draws of the year, just because it's Alaska, right? Yep. And I mean, mountain goats and doll sheep and and Roosevelt elk and brown bears and right, and, you know. And it's just you know, the upper goose. I know that's a big one for you. That's a big so, one for me. I just oh, if there's one tag in Alaska, that's the one I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope I hope to draw that for you someday. That would be a neat deal. That's probably about lesser odds than this Nevada tag I drew. So, <laughs> you know, it's hard to draw. It's shockingly hard. I don't. I can't remember how many tags there are, but not many. No. And um, what a cool bird it is. It is awesome. I'm sure you saw a bunch up there in, out of Kodiak. Yeah, 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 there's there. I know our outfitter on Kodiak, you know, like if you draw it, it's going to be that's where I'd, I'd 100% happy. go there. Yep, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, tell us so, about, yeah, tell Alaska. us about Colorado before before you went to uh Alaska, you, you you turned in some points in Colorado. You know, the reason I did that is because there's some legislation or some changes coming down the pike here where. In, in draw units in Colorado where it takes residents six points or more to draw a tag, they're going to take those units and they're going to drop the non-resident quota from 40% to 20%. They're going to cut it in half. Uh, Might be a little off on the percentages there. So I, I just was a little panicked. And I'm like, you know, I have 18 years worth of points. Things like they always do for non-residents. You know, I think when I retire, I'm going to be a lobbyist for non-resident hunting rights because something's going on here. But that aside, um, I, I said, you know what, I'm cashing these points in. We had a great outfitter out there that really hasn't been vetted yet. 
and he wants to work with us and we want to work with him. He's got a beautiful lodge. Not that we stayed in the lodge, but I just, I wanted to see the lodge. I wanted to meet Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a, he's a well-funded, excellent businessman, super organized. And he's in a unit, that unit 76 that we really haven't been playing in for the last, you know, 20 years. And we should be right. That's, that's one of the premium limited entry draw units of Colorado. And it's, um, Anyway, so I, I put in, and I was kind of on the on the bubble. Like I wasn't I, in Colorado. It's on a preference point system, so you, yep. you know when you're going to draw, or you almost know when you're going to draw. You can really anticipate a draw there. I was on like 19 points guaranteed. It 18 points was like really really close. Like three quarters of the people were going to draw with 18 points. I had 18. I put in. I drew it. I called Nick. I said, Nick, I got the tag. He goes, come out. I came out there, and he just did a great job. You know, that's a really super big physical unit. Mm-hmm. Lot, you know, the mountains, I mean, we were glassing, Mark, at 12,500 feet. Wow. That's that's where our glassing map was. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I've hunted elk in a lot of different western states, but I've never hunted them at that altitude before. I've never done, like, a high alpine hunt for, for elk. And you're like, oh, gosh, am I going to be able to do this? And, you know, can my clients do this if they draw? Here's the deal. Those guides know, and they don't want to go marching around no. these giant mountains either, right? So what they're doing is they're getting on these knobs and they're glassing these bulls from, you know, two, three, four miles away. Before it might be an exaggeration, but two to three miles away, they're looking. And once they find a bull that they want to go after, they don't just march in there. They kind of get a pattern on them. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard to do during the rut sometimes, but they they kind of, they, they watch them for a day or two and they, and they get a pattern on them and then they go in. And so, like, you're not just, like, you know, like in the Gila or Arizona. I mean, you're walking around all over the place and, you know, calling and trying to get bulls. These guys are watching them. They're glassing them. And they're, and they're, and then, and, you know, so it's not like you're, you're just, you know, the baton death march through 12,000 foot mountains for 10 days, right? I finally got a bull on the 10th morning. Um, it wasn't a big bull, but it doesn't matter. It's one of the bulls I'm most proud of, right? Uh-huh. It's just because you know, 10 days, 12,000 feet. Um, the guides were great. Um, we stayed in a wall tent and then we, we would go in every morning. We had a bunch of glassers out looking. It was just, I don't know. It's just cool country and it's big, big country and pretty country. And I'll tell you what, Mark, the rut this year across the West, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, I think even Utah, it wasn't that great. I mean, it was like, like in my hunt, for example, I didn't, I don't think I heard a bull bugle in the evening hunt one time. Wow. It was all, it, so even though I hunted 10 days, I really only hunted half of that because the evening hunt was a bust. I mean, uh-huh. we hunted every day, but we didn't hear anything and we didn't chase anything. We, excuse me, we, you know, we found, anyway, we finally, we find these bulls, you know, where, where we finally want to go in and, and go after them. And uh, the morning hunt was fantastic. The evening hunt was kind of tough. And then on the 10th morning, we dropped down. So these bulls were like above timberline, and we'd get above them from the backside. Uh-huh. And we'd, you know, we'd try to get in front of them before they got down into the into the uh, Aspens. And I've never killed a bull in the Aspens before. And they're all yellowed out. I mean, beautiful, right? Because it was late September. And, um, and we just, you know, zig and they would zag, or we just couldn't get in front of them, or they were with cows. And I mean, they were cowed up pretty hard. And, so that last morning, I'm like, guys, this is it. And they're like, okay, we'll drop down. Because we didn't want to blow them out and ruin the whole spot. Yep, so yep. it was the last morning. So, yeah, so we dropped down in there the last morning. They, You know, of course, they got down into the timber before we could get to them. Or it just didn't happen where they were kind of out in the open. 
we were trying to catch them out in the open before they'd come down into these aspens and bed. And um, so we dropped down in there and they were just bugling and they felt safe in there. You know, they were bugling and carrying on and, and uh, we just kept working in, they'd bugle, we'd work in, they'd bugle, we'd work in. And then we finally, you know, we never called to them. Right. And then uh, we just, every time they would bugle, or if we did call, it was not to call them in. It was just to get them to bugle to kind of, under you know keep a location on them yep and then we got into like the zone where they were working in this aspen patch and i just drove an arrow right to that elk and died in 80 yards and the pack out we called a bunch of people to help us pack and i got my bull the meat's actually showing up this week so i'm pretty pumped yeah it was it was a neat hunt it was a really really good hunt but uh but yeah the bugle this year was off it was you know it was it was even in like dreamland units like the vibe doll and you know Unit one, Arizona. I mean, it wasn't like this cranker bugle deal. I, I, again, I don't know why or how that occurs or why, you know, why mm-hmm. some years they're just cranked and other years it's just nothing. But this year it was, it was pretty tough. Rough Tough custom seat covers are the roughest and toughest seat covers on the market. Their custom fit is second to none. Not to mention all the options they have to match your active lifestyle. If you're an outdoorsman like me, their special ops package is a must. The package includes two rifle scabbards that hold two long guns, plus molly loops and a bunch of other pockets to help organize all your gear. I just had a set installed in my new Toyota Tundra, and they look amazing. If you want to learn more about Rough Tough seat covers, go online to www.roughtough.com. Worldwide Trophy Adventures is your ultimate outdoor connection. We all know that good hunting ground and great outfitters is becoming increasingly difficult to find. The only way to ensure access to the best area and outfitters is to spend a lot of time, money, and effort to research these destinations. Worldwide Trophy Adventures does this legwork for you at no charge. By booking your trip through WTA, you can rest assured that you'll be in a great location with a reputable outfitter that we have certified and endorsed. So if you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out their website at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. I'm a believer in using the best, and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are, the best on the market. If you want to sharpen your skills and ability, make sure to check out their Long Range University. From the rifle build to the perfect shot, Gunworks is your partner in the pursuit of long range perfection, 1,000 yards out of the box. So I guess on that, what's if you had to kind of do a recap of the 2020 three elk season through tags and through everything in the West, but like by States, which state did, which States did good. Like a, the, the, the uh, bugle may have been a little slow all the way through, but what States did good this year? Well, um, so Arizona was, it was tough, right? Arizona is the most exciting state out there. And, and it was, it was tough across the board. New Mexico, uh, we we draw. I would think the majority of the tags on the Vibadol unit. The Vibadol is a once in a lifetime tag. It's a dreamland hunt. We use a guy named Grizz Montoya in there, who's been in there for thirty years. He knows it like the back of his hand. He's one of the best elk hunters I think in the country. Right? Mm-hmm. He's been in on a lot of elk encounters over his lifetime. Normally in the Vibadol, even with archery equipment, we go. 100% shot opportunity and sometimes many many years 100% kill so that's the first archery harvest second archery harvest muzzleloader harvest first rifle youth rifle and second rifle you got six hunts in there that Grizz does for us 
normally many times we go 100%, which when you're mixing archery in there, that's incredible. It's, a cra- right? it's crazy, yeah. It borders Vermejo Park. It borders the Philmont Boy Scout. Um, it's just it's just in this dreamland spot. It's beautiful. We went 0 for 7 in there this year. Wow. I've, I've never been. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's again. I I've been Grizz and I have been teamed up for 15 years, so I have a really, really, really long track record with them. And clients come out of there and they're like, "Oh my gosh, that was incredible! It's the best elk." And this year, the clients like, "Yeah, it's pretty good. You know, Grizz is a good guy." I mean, most of the reports are just totally mediocre, you know. And I was just like, "What is going on?" And I talked to him yesterday. He was like, "I, I can't. I don't even know what to say." Of course, you know, there was a lot of weird things that happened, misses and. And but it just wasn't it just wasn't cranked up that well. T.J. Sanchez shot a beautiful bull in uh, on the Boulder unit in Utah. I know you know T.J. Oh yeah, he drew that. He's been with us forever. Um, he's an example of a guy that puts in, puts in, never gives up, always renews on time. And he he drew this dream tag with a muzzleloader in, in Utah. We sent him in there with our best outfitter. He did really really well. That bull's got to be pushing three seventy. Um, so Utah, you know, Utah is okay, I guess. That would be, to, to answer your question, that would be kind of the standout this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, overall, man, it was it was not good. Well, have you had anybody in Nevada yet? So that Nevada rifle, I didn't draw any archery hunters. Um, I drew a couple of deer hunters. I drew, uh, I drew a couple of deer hunters. The outfitter that you're going with, Sergio, mm-hmm. guided my deer hunters, um, took a beautiful buck off of, 241 245 um maybe about 2 weeks ago okay and now you're now you're going in the elk season in the, and because I didn't draw any archery hunters the elk the elk season in Nevada starts in November right so mm-hmm. you're going in there what November 5th or 6th yeah i get uh 6th is opening day yeah i get in there the 5th another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, you know, Mark, that, that tag that you have there is, is if not, it's one of, if not the best elk tags in the country, right? It's definitely in the top, I would say in the top 10, mm-hmm. maybe top five. So, and, you know, Sergio knows that unit well, and, and I'm expecting great things in there. I think, um, I think it's going to be a real, real good hunt. Like I said, the tags are limited both for residents and non-residents in there. Nevada does not put a lot of pressure on their elk herd. And to draw that tag, you know, we, you and I, we looked at the odds of drawing that thing. I mean, it's just incredible. Nine points sounds like a lot of points, which you had, but that's yep. really not. I mean, I have 20. I haven't drawn it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm pumped for you. I, I really think you're going to do well in there. And you can go. It's, you know, it's a physical hunt. And, um, you know, so that's going to help. 
and and Sergio knows it. I mean, he's taken a lot of big. Have you talked to him recently? Yeah, yeah, I've been messaging him. He's actually in the area right now. He should pop out. What day is today? Thursday. I think he's going to pop out either um, later this afternoon or tomorrow morning. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, and you have what seven, nine days in there? Maybe yeah, we got days. a week. Yep. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah. Just be patient and let it unfold. And and um, yeah, that that's going to be an awesome one. I'm super. I'm super excited. <clears throat> happy for you. That's a great tag, and uh, I think you're going to do real good. Yeah. No, I'm looking looking forward to it, and no one's surging. Of course, it's hunting. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's hunting. I mean, it's you never know. Every time I think it's going to be this world class thing, it's like it turns into this grinder, but. <laughs> Um, you know what that's all about. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm not one that usually gets very lucky on the old first day. <laughs> yeah. So I know all about yeah. the grind. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Exactly. So as, uh, so you've been, before we wrap up here, what are like, if somebody calls you and says, Hey, what are, what are the, I have to apply for states for elk and tags? What, what would you tell them? So what I tell them, uh, a quick summary of that would be, I really think a good elk portfolio includes Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming. Like mm-hmm. Those three states are kind of like the three that it doesn't matter your age or your physical ability or what type of trophy quality you're looking for. I think Arizona, New Mexico, Wyoming are must-apply states, right? Yep. <clears throat> And you don't put in for New Mexico if you can't go in that year because there's no point system. Yep. But in Wyoming and in Arizona, at the very minimum, if you don't draw, you're going to build a point. And you can do point only as well, which I never recommend. But some people can't go. I have a wedding coming up. I have things mm-hmm. going on. Kids have this going on. At the minimum, excuse me, <clears throat> at the minimum, purchase your, your point only, Right. So then on top of that, if you have younger clients, right, I'm talking clients that are south of 50 years old, right, I really think guys should be putting in for, besides those three, I think guys should be putting in for Nevada and Utah, okay? Nevada and Utah, again, very difficult draws, more of a long-term play, Um, but if you can just draw them once in your lifetime, you know, those are going to be your, like call it extra premium states, yep. right? So I think I think you got those three states that I mentioned, and if you're below 50, add Nevada and Utah to it, and that's a, that's a fantastic elk portfolio. You know, Colorado is a state where it's preference points. The, the point system's kind of screwed up in Colorado, but it, it's just kind of an opportunity state. If you're just like, hey, I want to get out, it's nice to have points all over the place, add Colorado. Yep. But you're never going to hunt the Northwest corner. You're never going to have the points for that. Unless something changes in that state where they change their, their preference point system and how it works. You're, you're never going to, uh, you're never going to draw those premium, premium units in Colorado. Uh, if you're just getting started, but you know, there's a lot of cool units in Colorado that take two or three points. So you can get out elk hunting much, much faster. You're just not going to be chasing quality. You'll be chasing numbers, which is always fun. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. But uh, and, you know, another state that I, I, I don't want to forget is Montana. That's probably in there. I should have said, I said the top three states where I included Arizona, New Mexico, and Wyoming. I should have thrown Montana in there as well, especially for bow hunters in mm-hmm. Montana. If you're a bow hunter in Montana, if you're a bow hunter, if you like to chase elk with your bow, you can usually guarantee yourself a tag in Montana in four to five years. And it's really, really good elk hunting. So that's a short wait time for that kind of quality. So um, we just had two consultants out on the road, too, that 
just went up and checked out these two ranches in Montana. Uh, one one was near Roundup, Montana, and the other one was near um, little a little further east of there. Um, gosh, it wasn't Ekalaka, but it was like in that southeast corner. I can't remember the name of the but these guys came back. Uh, Jeremy Ivy and Eric Shell, who you know they work for us. And they were pumped. They were like, you would not believe these private ranches we just saw. One of them has leftover tags. Like one of them, I think even on the rifle, like you, like it's a really, really easy draw unit. That's crazy. But we have the right piece of private in there. I mean, these hunts aren't going to be cheap because they're yep. going to be super easy to draw. And they're, you know, these bulls are going to be 330 to 360. And, um, but yeah, Montana is another state that everybody needs to, uh, needs to be applying in for sure. I had ironically sure. just called Eric because I had a, a dog question for him, a Brittany for my dad, and he had just got yeah. back from Montana, so he was he was all jacked up about it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those guys were in my office just talking a while a minute, and they were pumped for sure. So that's it's always fun to find places like that to you know to talk to clients about, and that's when we're the best, man, because these guys, I mean, they're all over it, and they they love doing it, and they love finding the next great place, and and. Um, you know, so I think we're going to have a really, really good offering this year in Montana. So I'm pretty pumped. Yeah. So looking forward to yep. what, what, what are some other, before I, before I let you go here, since you are the, uh, the tags guru, what are some others? If, if you're looking at applying for tags, right? What are the top mule deer spots? I think that's probably one of the other top ones that guys apply for. Yeah. So mule deer is a lot tougher, right? I mean, every state has big elk or quality elk somewhere in it. Mule deer it's it's really difficult. Um, I think you know the eastern plains of Colorado is is a is, is a great tag. I know there was a drought there two years ago, but again, it didn't have as big of an effect, I don't think, on the deer herd as we initially thought. But you know, with four or five six points, you can draw a rifle tag on the eastern plains. Um, the archery tag can usually be drawn with zero to one point. So, and the archery tag's right in the heart of the rut. You know, I know everybody has seen on TV, you know, guys glassing these bucks out in the plains and they go in bed down and you crawl in on them. Super fun hunt. Um, you know, and then you talk about like the Arizona Strip and you talk about, you know, certain places in Utah, like the Henry Mountains and the Oak Creek unit. Those are tags guys might never, probably will never draw in their lifetime, but they're always fun to put in for because what if, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where you're going is a great mule deer unit as well. You're, you're in that 221, 223, but 231, 240, 241, 245. You're, all, you're, you're in the great elk and mule deer area in Nevada. But again, very difficult to draw. Always good to weapon down in Nevada, right? The archery hunt and the muzzleloader, unscoped muzzleloader hunt is better than the rifle hunts on mule deer there. But yeah, mule, um, north northwest corner in New Mexico is a great tag to be applying for. But yeah, and mule deer is a lot more difficult, you know. Um, it's 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 a it's a we 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 draw far less mule deer tags across the west than we draw elk tags, and uh, just you know big mule deer. But but I mean a big mule deer, I, I would rather hunt a big mule deer than almost anything, right? So you got to put in for them. Yeah, that's one of those one of those things. Now, what about uh, whitetail? Let's just move on, and we're we'll cover a few of them here while I still got you on the phone. What about whitetail? Yeah. Yeah, Kansas. I think Kansas, you know, we're super strong in Kansas. I believe we have the best outfitters in the state lined up there. The situation is getting a little bit tougher in in, New, in Kansas where it's only like maybe like 80% draw now. 
So if you want to guarantee a tag, you do need a preference point. But even with zero points, first time applying, you're still going to have an 80% draw. Of course, the Iowa hunts are starting to go off right now. I'm dying to hear how the first week goes. I think our hunters started on Halloween morning. So we got, what, two, three days into Iowa. It's going to take four to five points with a bow. It's going to take one to two points with a gun, either a shotgun or a muzzleloader. Those are the two main draw states. Oh, Montana. Yeah, you just got back Mm -hmm. from Montana. You know, people don't think of Montana for whitetails. Tell me about that a little bit. I mean, how was that? So that was, and I did this one with Shell, and he explained it to me, and it was to a T of what he explained, right? So you're hunting this this giant ranch. It's got 28 miles of river bottom. Think about that. 28 miles of river bottom (laughs) all along this river bottom. This is where all the egg fields are, a bunch of alfalfa and so forth. And the deer just... I'm used to hunting Michigan. I'm used to hunting all these other eastern states. The deer there just aren't pressured, right? There's not that yeah. many people that are that are hunting whitetails there. Right. So you'll see deer for the first four hours of the day standing out in the middle of these alfalfa fields, and not like cool. you you'll you'll pull up, get up high, glass these fields, and and they don't even move. Like then all of a sudden later in the day you'll find the bucks are bedded down. We saw it one time. We saw a bachelor group of bucks, fifteen of them. All bedded in the middle wow. of an alfalfa field, wow. just just insane. And this is this is one. It's so different, right? It's a spot and stalk whitetail hunt. So usually right. you're you're checking all these egg fields. You're just cruising in the morning, checking as many egg fields as you can, seeing what's out in the egg fields. Um, same thing in the afternoon. And once you see one, then it's just trying to get set up for a shot on it. But it's one of those, it's so unique, so different from any any other whitetail hunt I've done, which are, if you think about whitetail mainly, stands, um, elevated blinds, things like that. And it, yeah. it's so different. And the quality of bucks out there is way better than what I was expecting too, right? At any point yeah. in time, at any, any day that you had out there, I'm a believer, any day of the season you had out there, you'll see 130 to 140 inch deer. Any oh, day, wow. right? So what you're doing is now you're trying to find a deer that's better than that and that they'll be in the 150s, 160s. And it's just that that part of the hunt, you may see one that's like, man, that's a great deer. Like I shot I shot a 144-inch big mainframe eight-point. Like it, oh, it's wow. just just a big, big deer, right? It, yeah. If it would have had, if it would have been a 10-point or something else like that, it would have scored way better. But it's just a... It was an old deer, you could tell, and just a big frame. And I'm like, that's it. Once I saw him, I'm like, that's it. That's that's. Yeah. I'm more than happy with that deer. Um, Kevin, who was with me, took a great buck, too. He used the Gunworks for the first time, so then he got back here and bought one. Um, but he, he had a great hunt, too. And it's just one of those, if you're looking for something different in a, in a high-quality, high-success hunt, that is one you got to check out. I think I think because you can see out there and it is so barren and there is no pressure on those deer, it's probably your best chance for a one forty one fifty buck. Yep. Anywhere. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, Canada, I would I would say Polish, that. Who knows what you? Yeah. And and like on this one, I would tell people, and, and given right, it's a lot depends on the weather. A lot depends on how good a shot you are. If you hunt the week that you're out there, you're not going to come home empty-handed without a great deer. That that's the quality of deer that are there in the numbers, right? Because if you think about it, they're they're hunting twenty eight miles of river bottom, and they're only eight hunters. Yeah, like, think think about how stupid that is, right? You're one hunter for the year every three miles. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. just. I'm glad we're talking about it because it's a hard thing to sell. People don't think of Montana for whitetails, mm-hmm. and they should be, you know. Yep. They should be because it, it really is a super high. The people we do send in there come back just like you, excited, like, wow, that was not what I expected. That was fantastic, and I'd love to do that again, you know. And, uh, and yeah, 28 miles of river bottom. It's, just, it's, it's incredible. No, and that's right in the middle of a, uh, I mean, one of the elk units that we were talking about earlier. Um, we were there right when, right when rifle season started and there was an elder gentleman that shot a, it was a mid three sixties bull, right? Like a, a 360 inch elk is huge. It is. I mean, it, it, the frame on that sucker was big. And then one of the first morning we were there, we probably saw a 346 by, I mean, just, just, it's a stud, right? Carried his mass all the way through. And you're seeing that you're seeing mule deer all over the place. You got the white tails down by the water. It's just the whole thing's cool. It's, it's gorgeous. It's one of those great, great trips to go on. Yeah. It's like a Western safari. Hey, real quick. Tell me again, I was playing around either on YouTube or Facebook or whatever it was. And I saw you in California. Yep. Yeah. So I went to California a couple weeks ago. You you talking Catalina Island or are you talking uh, mainland? Yeah. So Catalina Island, um, and it, like all the news with Catalina Island that's exploded the last couple months, right? I've had this hunt book for a year as part of uh-huh. doing, doing the North American deer slam. So I was looking for somewhere to do, uh, California mule deer. And I already had the trip planned to go after a sandbar on the Hearst ranch, right? One of the, the only areas in the U S that like the history of free ranging sandbar there, they've been free ranging for a hundred years and they hunt for sandbar on the Hearst ranch, which the Hearst ranch is two ranches that if you combine them is just shy of 160,000 acres. One of the wow. ranches is right on the coast. That's where the, the sandbar, that's the one, that's the one we hunted. So I had this all set up to go and hunt there. And, and I did uh Audad while I was there. And then I also did, it was a Thule elk. Now, when I originally did this, the state of California classified those as Roosevelt elk. So I was going to get a Roosevelt elk. And then in the last 12 months, they reclassified them as Thule elk, which, oh after, my God. which after shooting one, it's a hundred percent of Thule elk. It just, it just oh is. And they said there's some yeah. if, up, up high on the ranch, there's some Roosevelt's, but this was Hundred percent Thule. So I, I brought my muzzle loader and got a great seven by seven Thule elk. Just, I mean the the ocean in the background, like you couldn't couldn't ask for anything better. But anyway, on, on Catalina, so I was like, as I was going through all the planning, I'm like, well, I'm already going to be in California. Maybe I can double dip. So I was talking with Jake, who set this whole thing up for me there, and he's and he's like, well, if we're going to do it, just let's just take a few extra days and we're going to go to Catalina Island. It's the it's the highest highest success rate. So I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't, truthfully, I didn't know that much about it at the time. I'm just like, okay, we're, we're going to go there. I'll plan a couple extra days and, and go. And then literally two months before I was set to go, all the news came that the, the nature conservancy there wanted to eradicate the deer because they're not native. Now the deer have been on the Island, um, free ranging for a hundred years, but they are not uh-huh. native to the Island. So they wanted to go through uh-huh. all that. Um, I know there are a lot of reports that there are 2,000 deer on the island and they're ruining everything. I can I can verify they're not 2,000 deer there. Um, yeah. I, I, did, I mean, obviously, this is what the outfitter and all the guides that had, that have been working there for a long time. Andrew, my guide, had been there for eight years. Um, and he's like, they're, just, they're not 2,000 deer here, right? And they, yeah. through the outfitting and does and bucks, they shoot about 130 to 140 deer a year. And they can consi- uh-huh. they would consider they're trying to shoot fifteen to twenty percent is what they what their what their conservation goals have been all along. That's that's what they've been trying to do. Um, 
then obviously there's there's a a, a bunch of people that don't want to see the deer gone there even even non-hunters right because the deer have been there so long it's it's part of the island they don't want it to be like santa rosa island that used to have everything and now i mean hardly anybody goes there right so you like don't want it to turn in turn into that and hopefully hopefully it doesn't um but that that hunt was cool it's super hot it's off the island so we took you take a we took a a boat over um just from one of jake's friends on the way to the island and then on the way back took the ferry back to the mainland um, but the island, the island's cool, right? You're going, you got, they got a tent camp there. Um, you're going out each morning, you're glassing high cruising, looking, looking for bucks And this time of year. They were starting to rut a little bit. So you could definitely tell the bucks were starting to chase. Um, and I think it was on the third night that I was there. Um, we just, it was an area that they had had success with in the past. So we were, cruising that area and, and chase one of the, one of the younger guys there saw a buck, but it was just moving quick. And he said, it's a big frame. We got to go take a look at it. So we went out and, um, went off this little finger and, and about 20 minutes before dark, this buck and another one just came out the side and, and it was one of those, you got to move quick and you could just tell it was a big frame deer. So you're like, that's gotta be one. I would compare California mule deer a lot to blacktails in how they go. Wow. You get some giant two buys, you get a lot of three buys, a four by four. Like it's just not like a big mule deer, right? It's it's not that same type of thing. So yeah. shot it, walk up, it, it's right side's gorgeous, right? It's got a kicker off the side, it's got a split. Unfortunately, during the rut, it broke off its left back fork. So it had three on the left because it broke off its back. Um, but just an, I mean, an old, old warrior deer and, and truthfully to hunt the Island with everything that was going on was just a pretty cool experience. Do you, do you think they're going to eradicate the deer off of there? I don't think so. But my gut tells me no, is that there was, once it became public, there's, it's not just hunters that don't want it, right? Like it, it's all over the news in California. And if you think about that part of the world, I think even non-hunters don't want to see things like that happen, right? I mean, the deer have been there for a hundred years. Like they're talking about bringing the Island back. Well, my, my belief on that whole thing is we can't go back to how everything was right. Like we can't just erase the history of what, what has happened in those deer on the Island and they're bison on the Island and they can't go back and take, take away all the world war two stuff that was still on the Island. That's there. Like that's part of the history of the Island. People come to see the wildlife. Like they're hikers right. all over the place there. And what were they looking for? They were looking to see the bison and they were looking for the deer. That's, that's what, yeah. while they were hiking, that's what they're looking for. And you're going to say, okay, we're going to take the deer away. And they've already right. sterilized all the bison. So there are no more baby bison on the Island. So eventually the last bison will eventually, I mean, they're going to, they're going to die off. Yeah. Right? If they're no more, they're going to die off. So now you're not going to have those animals on the Island. Like, and you want to do it for tourists and all this stuff. And you're like, well, you're taking away the resources that are there. Right. What what about what about the odd? Did, was, was, I saw the odd dad. Like I've heard of odd dad on on a YouTube short. I think it was. And um, was was that on that island? No, the odd dad were actually on the Hearst Ranch. So the the history of the Hearst the Hearst Ranch. So there's a castle, and I didn't even know this. One of the top tourist destinations in California, the Hearst Castle. Um, really? Yep. So the 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 Hearst family um, in the early I think it was 1920s. They had. I mean, obviously extremely wealthy, right? So they built this castle and they built a zoo there um, so that, and they had this mile walk that you could go and see animals from around the world. They had grizzly bears, polar bears, brown bears, um, 
Audet. They had Sambar. They had uh, uh, Tar. They had all this stuff there that that you could basically go and you could walk this mile walkway and you could look down and see the cages. We actually, while we were there, looked in one of the, the brown bear enclosures that they still kept as part of the history of the ranch so you could see how they had it. Um, and just like anything back then, right, most of it was made of wood and concrete block. They had a fire. Um, so a lot of the animals got out. Obviously, you can't have polar bears cruising around California. So a lot of them were, a lot of the stuff was was shot off when that happened. Um, but like the Audad, they they couldn't get all of them when they went out. And they're like, well, the Audad really aren't that much of a problem. Well, anybody in Texas knows Audad breed like crazy. So that population right. exploded. The group that I shot my ram out of we had 150 on the hill in front of us i mean there they were all dead everywhere it was it wasn't a matter of seeing them or getting one it was a matter that hopefully they would clear enough that you could get a shot um, yeah so that that's like some giants in that herd there were there were and they only how, take how they only the take you got? uh i haven't even brought a tape to him yet i haven't even brought a tape he's all he's he's got to be over 33 though i haven't i haven't brought a tape to him just Jeez. just a solid solid ram um, but they only take yeah. two odd at a year, right? So they're managing what that herd is. Oh. They manage the sandbar super close. They manage the elk super close. Um, they've got blacktail on the ranch. They they don't allow any outside people to hunt the blacktail. That's kind of what they allow certain workers to hunt for them and the family to hunt for them every year. And saw oh. saw a ton of those. But I mean, the whole the California trip was awesome. Like that was that was one. I've had some trips this fall that I've I've had super high expectations going into. And then yeah. the whole experience even blows away what my high expectations have been going into. Yeah, it looked, it, it looked incredible. I mean, yeah. it, I would just catch it here and there, and I was like, "Wow, the hate marks in a in a, in a, in a cool hunt right now." And yep. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome, man. So yeah, we'll just keep going here. You know, tags is um, ramping up for renewal season here, and uh, and we're excited. So in November is when we start to send out your tags portfolio. So if you're a client of WTA Tags. In the next three to four weeks, you're going to get a letter in the mail from us that uh, that says, hey, you know, Mr. Client, here's what you have with WTA tags. Here's your tags portfolio. Your points have been updated, your preference points and your bonus points. Here's what it'll cost to reapply in 2024. When you get that letter, please call us because the whole key to this thing is to keep it going, to stay persistent, and great tags are going to come your way. If you're not a client of ours, we have all the 2024 pricing ready to go. Give our office a call, and um, and one of my guys will talk to you about putting a portfolio together for you uh, or your kids. Of course, kids are kids are 100% off. We don't charge kids any money. Any WTA tax service fee is waived for kids 18 or under. New, new for this year, which I'm really excited to announce, is that women are 50% off. Uh, to try to you know attract more female applicants to to our to uh, to hunting, and so and then just to bring the overall cost of application for the family household down. When mm-hmm. you're, you know the father is doing his tags, and then he's got his wife in the draw and his kids in the draw, we're trying to bring the pricing down and and get more people involved. So we we call it the the women and children first program. Uh, women fifty percent off, kids uh, are free. So just pretty pumped. But when you get that W, you're going to get your letter soon. So when you get back from Nevada. You know, you, you and I will be talking about what our plan is for next year. We'll tweak things where we have to go. We'll get the we'll get the renewal paid, and we'll roll out for 2024. And um, for you and the kids, so that'll be good. And I just wish you a lot of luck on that Nevada hunt. Be safe. Tell Sergio I said hi. 
Uh, and then when you get back, let's talk tags for, for 2024. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks for your time today. And hopefully when I'm, when I'm traveling back, I'll shoot you some pictures. All right, buddy. Yeah. Good luck, man. Perfect. Have a good one, Eric. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey.